Welcome to Positivity Strategist, a podcast that injects a good deal of optimism and possibility into your life at home and at work. Conversations with thought leaders and everyday people shine the light on what works and amplifies those everyday micro moments of positivity, irrespective of what else is going on. You'll be energized by lots of practical tips, inspiring you to live a truly satisfying and meaningful life. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Robin Stratton Burkessel, and this is episode 34 with Suzanne Daigle. Now, you're aware that we've changed from a weekly show to a fortnightly one, that's every two weeks, just for a short period while I'm working on an exciting new venture. So while I'm doing that, we've had to scale back on the podcast production just a little for the next few months. Now, it's extra exciting for me when I get to do my podcast every two weeks because I miss the energy of that weekly show. Now, as I mentioned, today my guest is Suzanne Daigle, and the show notes for this conversation with Suzanne can be found at positivitystrategist.com slash PS34. And I'm so fortunate to know Susan through an extraordinary network of people. And as is usually the case, we've had great joy in discovering we have quite a beautiful group of people that we share through different relationships across the world. It's very exhilarating. So here is a sneak preview of Suzanne. We need all hands on deck. We need to tap into the wisdom of everyone that's around. And I think we're going to be building the future of work together. Now, I bet that's whet your appetite. But before we continue with Suzanne, we have our Positivity Lens segment. Two weeks ago, I spoke with Andy Hayes and he shared with us his favorite tea moments and that was episode 33. And so remember that I do this positivity lens activity to help us strengthen our positivity muscle and to hone our ability to view people and situations through multiple lenses because remember what you focus on grows. Now, Andy came up with three tips for us to help improve our positivity. And so the first one he said was treat yourself. And that is each week, pick something that's a little bit indulgent for you and go out there and do it. So it's a nice treat for yourself. So it could be call a friend or eat something you love or go to the movies, do something special that gives you joy. The second thing that he suggested was to reflect over the last week and do an audit of any negative influences in your life and be conscious about not repeating them. So remove them. So delete anything that doesn't serve you well or upsets you so that you can break from those habits that don't work for you. And the third thing he suggested was create a daily shortlist. So for each day, for a week or longer, write up your favorite moment of the day to evoke the feelings that are associated with that favorite activity and put them in a lovely vase or a cookie jar or a beautiful box. And so whenever you feel like it, you can go in there and pick it out and be reminded of some of your favorite things. So I hope you practice those. And if you didn't, you could do it at any time. And so now let's go to this week's show with Suzanne Daigle. Today, I'm very excited to be talking with Suzanne Daigle, who's in Sarasota, Florida. But Suzanne comes originally from Canada, a little town of 13,000 people called Edmonston in New Brunswick. Hi, Suzanne, and thank you so much for spending time with me today. 
Hi, Robin. I'm so excited to be here. I've been waiting all week. And before we go forward, if I may, I just want to say how inspired I am by your podcast and especially its theme, Positivity Strategy. And I think strategists, and I think that that's so important in today's world to have both to be positive, optimistic, passionate, and also to be strategists. So it was brilliant, and I'm happy, happy to be here. It's <laughs> so nice to have that coming from you. Thank you. Yes, it was kind of one of those things that just popped out at the right time. I'm sure you know what that's about. <laughs> yes, I do. I do. It's fun to pay attention to whatever pops up. Yeah, that's right. Be with something and it'll happen. So um, I just want to say, Suzanne, that there's something very special about my connection with you. Um, we met only about seven months ago. And one of the many things I love about you is your infectious, warm energy. And of course, what you stand for. You just sparkle. And, you know, we're just two ordinary people who have met through an extraordinary network and we're going to explore that concept soon. But in this extraordinary network, we've found that we share many cherished cherished (laughs) intersect points and people in our respective journeys and we're going to explore those too. One of the topics that lights you up, Suzanne, is talking about work and I have a strong sense of of why that is through our conversations in the past. But I want to quote you right now. You say that there's no dichotomy between life and work and that you're passionate about transforming the way we work. So I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind just starting by talking a little bit about what that is for you. You know, set the scene for us. Tell us about the work that you're doing. Okay, well, let me start from your lead about there's no dichotomy between life and work. I am unabashedly passionate about work. And I'd say that I've been very, very lucky in my whole career to have had really, really a lot of good experiences at work. It's not to say that it was always easy or that it was always fun. Even in the hard work, I feel I've been blessed. And as I've looked around in the past 10 years, I just feel so saddened to see what was happening to work is that people are not engaged. They're not involved in in their work. And today as a baby boomer, I feel like instead of counting my years until retirement, I'm counting the years of my life because I think we're entering into an era where work and life are going to find each other again. And that's really, really exciting. So that's, the, at the heart of the consulting work that I do with others. And I'll pause and let you ask me any other questions <laughs> as we go, because I know I could just go on and on and I will, and I'll enjoy every minute of it. I know you will. So um, when you say that you, you have a very strong sense that life and work will find each other, say something about that. I think with communications, um, being available to everyone. I, you know, in the old days when I went to work, um, and I say I was lucky in my early years of my career, I was surrounded with colleagues and leaders that were passionate about something they believed in. Leaders were, whether it was innovation, taking your company another step, it seemed 
Robin, that there was time for people to interact with each other, for some mentoring, some support, some encouragement, and for people to find the work that was really suited to what they could do. It just seemed to be that we had more time. And now in this world where everyone knows everything, our roles are all changing and we can't depend on just having a small group of leaders, a small group that are creating strategy for everyone and delegating. It just doesn't work that way. And I think as people, as people have struggled with all this global competition, with communications available to everyone and trying to hang on to everything and do it the old way, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And we really, really need ordinary people. We're all ordinary, wherever we are in the totem pole of organizations. We need all hands on deck. We need to tap into the wisdom of everyone that's around. And I think we're going to be building the future of work together. Yeah. And that's what excites me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know that you stand for that, you know, when everyone has a voice and everyone's included and everyone has a say and gets involved in shaping the business and finding solutions and working together, um, that that brings out the best in us all. And um, we can do our best work when we have that sense of being included and being valued. Would you say something about, you know, ways in which you facilitate that to happen in workplaces? Yes. Um, I'm an open space facilitator. And in open space, um, you have the opportunity to invite people across the organization who are connected to major issues in the company, in the business. It's as if we're creating the strategy together. You're bringing people who are closest to the work that they know to participate in some of the big issues of the organization. And what's so wonderful is that when people are invited and included, I mean, many people think that that's going to lead to chaos, to confusion. And when you're really focused as to why you're inviting, what the issue is, what the invitation or the opportunity is, people are so appreciative to really tap into their creativity and what they know. And what comes out at the other end is really amazing. And I can, you know, I have an example in my mind right now. There's a lady who was the executive director of a hotel. And she brought people from different um, departments, whether it was people working at the front desk, in the kitchen, in sales, the head of housekeeping. And I'll never forget how the lady who was the head of housekeeping with 35 years of service, she was the leader in that group. And she'd never really had that voice, mm. nor had she been perceived that way. And it just inspired everyone. And of course, everybody's leadership came out. Mm. But this happens everywhere. It's happened all the time in my career, mm. that leaders lurk everywhere in our organizations. Right. So we need to extend those invitations. Yeah. So um, that story that you're telling about the housekeeping person coming forward with an idea, was that actually in a open space? It was. Yeah. It was like um, a two-day strategy uh -huh. where we brought people together for two days mm -hmm. and part of it was open space. Mm -hmm. 
And the theme was really creating the strategy for the year together. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting to see, like, you'll have someone in maintenance who is usually just working with their hands and doing stuff and taking care of whatever's going on in the background of the hotel. And there he is sitting with the executive director, the manager of sales. And we're all equals. And we're all there for one mission, which was to say, what can we do? And they were already a very high performing hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, you know, I mean, that's one example of missed opportunities in the way we're working now on a treadmill. Right. Rushing and trying to do everything the way we've always done it and not pressing the pause button to really consult and connect and be very deliberate. I mean, this is serious stuff. And there's serious opportunity and we can have some serious fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, As you're aware, you know, open space technology is not unknown to me either. And I totally acknowledge and agree with the fantastic outcomes that you can get when you invite people to come into a space to talk about things that they are passionate for. They have some knowledge about. Um, There's sense of like urgency about it, right? Yes. Um, and and there's all these diverse opinions. I'm trying to remember now the conditions for a successful open space experience. And, you know, I, I, I think I'll preamble this, Robin, that in some ways people who wouldn't know open space, you know, they'll say, well, it, it's not a gimmick. It's not a, a selling of a process. It's an invitation for people to be invited, involved and included. Mm-hmm. That's really all it is. And you know, the conditions you're talking about mm-hmm. is, is there an important business issue or right. opportunity? So yeah. when you look at that and say, in our work lives, do we have a lot of those important issues and opportunities that are secondly so complex that we're struggling mm-hmm. with dealing with it? And no one group or no one siloed sector or department has the answers mm-hmm. and that there's an urgency Mm-hmm. And I think today, in today's world, there's such a great urgency. I mean, 20, only, they say only 20% of people are passionate about their jobs. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a travesty. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, you know, I think, wow, would we ever accept going to school or, and saying, well, I got 20% on my score over 100 or I got 30%. It's such a big untapped potential and yeah. capacity. Yeah. So, yes, you have the urgency of it and then diversity, mm-hmm. which is the invitation to bring non-traditional, like, I mean, it's time to rethink some of the strategies of how we do the work and to let go some of the work that's not working anymore for us mm. and to focus on that which is working. Yeah. And I'm not alone in this whole field. Of, have, we have a lot of friends, Robin, as you know, who care deeply about the same thing. And I hope during this conversation that I had an opportunity to call out and, and mention them. We will, we will. We could sort of say, well, this. yes, let's do that. But I just want to, before we do that, I just want to go back to the invitation piece because you've mentioned it several times and I just want to echo why that's so important from my perspective and that is that you 
want people to come only if they can contribute. I mean, how many meetings do you go to and people come and they're so disengaged and they don't really want to be there and they've got nothing to add or don't choose to speak up? So that's why you want – it's about self-selecting people, right? Come into a meeting, you're invited and you have something to contribute. I think that self-selection piece is really important. Yes. The self-selection. Yes. I mean, it extends to that, to have the freedom and the spirit of invitation there to participate in projects and in work that you're connected to. And so often decisions are made and you are told to do this or told to do that. And if you really knew the work, you would see how, in some cases, how insane it is. It's just not using our talents in the best way. And, you know, in today's world, I mean, I'm also blessed to be working with some people who come from companies that are among the most progressive in the world. And they have given that choice and that freedom to employees, to their colleagues. They don't even call them employees, they're colleagues. Mm -hmm. And the results are just really sustainably amazing. Mm. Yeah. So, Suzanne, how did you come to choose to work in this way? I think I didn't choose it. It kind of found me. Uh I started (laughs) as a journalist and I was quite young and um, it was like a training ground, a learning ground. And I had the opportunity to do human interest stories, political stories, you know, big news stories. And I think it sparked there that I saw, wow, there's people that are in the shadows of life that you don't really know about just doing their thing like the lady that had a pig farm with a whole bunch of pigs and running that business and I just was so fascinated and I left journalism and was hired by a company uh, in manufacturing a hundred year old company in pulp paper and lumber Mm -hmm. very male dominated traditional good-hearted good values and I was hired by that company to include and involve employees in the business story so that employees would understand the key drivers of the business so it would be a place I became a journalist within a company Mm. and it was like amazing because I could travel to the U.S., travel to Canada, go out in the woods where you'd have seventh grade education individuals harvesting trees, planting trees, and so proud of what Mm. they did. And people out in the mill floor, people with customers, and I could write human interest stories about them, but also connect it to the direction of where the company was going. We used to do face-to-face meetings. It was like so progressive in those days. Absolutely. Hmm. And I felt like, I think the litmus test for me has always been, if you're a mom or a dad and you come home at the end of the day, you would like it that you could be proud and you could feel energized about what you did all day. Mm-hmm. And when I see so many people nowadays who say, I hate my work, um, it's really sad. And you know what happened in that fine, fine company <laughs> over time? Uh, later in my career, um, just uh, happened after I had left, but they went bankrupt and I was there quite a long time. But then suddenly, as has happened in many companies, 
we kind of lost our vision and started focusing on the short term Mm -hmm. and started focusing on having returns that would equate to maybe technology companies or other companies. And when it takes 60 to 80 years to grow a tree and you have to take care of all the resources and, you know, be very long-term oriented with a healthy return that may not be at the level of, you know, another kind of company that doesn't have so much to look after. And, um, you know, unfortunately, it led to the demise of not only our company, but in some cases, the industry. Because so that also really affected me to think, remember those good days, not that we can take the past and project it into the future, but there's some pieces of our past that we Mm -hmm. certainly can be mindful of and take into our future. Mm -hmm. That is such a beautiful juxtaposition of it takes 60 to 80 years to grow a tree and yet we are so focused on short-term solutions all the time without necessarily thinking about the impacts and what the consequences might be. Yeah, that's just an extraordinary, it made me sit up with a shock. It is. And, you know, I feel like we kind of are all colluding a little bit with that and we have all colluded. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like I had the opportunity, like the leaders, everyone's pointing the fingers and the leaders must do this and we Mm -hmm. must do that and this isn't happening. And in a way, though, they are expected to deliver those returns. And all of us who might have money invested in pensions and, you know, we want a certain return, you know, that's bigger than me. But there's a a pause button there that we can press and say, look, is that really going to deliver the sustainable, Mm. competitive, strategic future that we need? Mm. And it'll take some courage together to say that's why we need to reinvent work and bring the best forward of what we had and share the load ahead and tap into those 80% of the people that are engaged and involved. Mm. I, I know for a fact that they're just waiting. Mm. Yeah. Just going back though, I want to comment on the journalism role that you had when you were working with that company in the, in the timber industry. Was that I mean, that was, as you said, it was very forward thinking at the time, but was that a branding exercise or, you know, what was the motivation to get people to, for you to go out there and to hear the stories of people in their workplace and what made them proud and what made them feel like a a, a real valued member of the organisation? What drove that? It was like, oh, Robin, you know what? I was hired by a very, very progressive president who's passed away. And I wouldn't even call him like a big charismatic president. He was just someone that really, really believed in the business that he was in. Mm. And he really, really believed about having employees, if they can lead their lives, they're able to know about the business. And I remember us having conversations where he'd be talking about depreciation, accounts receivable, and we were just, you know, doing the P&Ls and some of the materials, because we had face-to-face meetings, we'd go out in the mills at seven in the morning and at seven at night, 12-hour shifts, and we would meet with employees. And he and others on the management team were expected to be sharing the story of the business, but it was a little dry. So we would just mm-hmm. try and you know create the education that was needed so mm-hmm. people could get involved. And I assure you, the most surprising thing is when you ask people about their work 
and where their work connects. It's never hard. People are so happy to answer your questions. They're so happy to be engaged. It just requires an invitation. And we've lost that. I mean, now we have big data and we're analyzing for efficiency and how much more efficiency can we get out of each single individual. And if they don't work, we'll replace them. Well, I'm thinking the future is more about effectiveness mm. than draining the last bit of efficiency. Mm. And we'll lose our way. Yeah. And, you know, as you're saying that, I'm you know, very aware of why I so like working in this way. Um, you know, whether it be any of these kinds of approaches and frameworks that do bring people and their stories, you know, they we focus on their stories because it's the stories that we tell ourselves that we live out. So if we can find a, an inspiring collective story where we know that we're a valued contributor, that is so much more easier to get up and go to work every day Absolutely. <laughs> and just live. And, you know, that's why I love, you know, I, as you know, I do in a combination of appreciative inquiry and open space. Um, but, you know, starting with hearing, discovering what people really care about and what lights them up is such a fabulous starting point for them to start thinking about well, what else and what are the challenges and how can we overcome the challenges? And just people are in a good frame to be willing to be open and look at the possibilities. And this is where the positivity stuff comes in, right? Because when people are feeling in a more resourceful, positive frame of reference, they are then much more open and willing to share and be creative. And, you know, we have the scientific evidence for all this is real um, and it works. So, that's that's the that's the fun stuff about all yeah. of this. And in a way, it's sad to Robin that we need processes or specific. I don't know tools. It's like it's what being human with each other is all about. Yeah, I hear so, you. So you know mm. whether you are a leader in a company and your responsibilities are to a board or to your shareholders, or although that is very much shifting to a much broader. Um, stakeholder group than that or you're out in the offices in the mill serving clients I mean we need to put those pieces together to have insights directly not filtered through different layers mm-hmm. and um, you right. know in my work I'm I'm part of a group called New Focus a company called mm-hmm. New Focus Strategic Group out of Canada mm-hmm. and we have engineers we have finance people, we have business strategists, technology. We started with a group of three about seven years ago, and now we're about 20. And what I really love is that the consultants, who are my colleagues, are working from those different spheres with their clients, but then we can be referred, we can interact, we can work with those same clients. So we're bringing a more holistic Mm. approach based on need, But it also keeps me grounded. When we talk about reinventing work, it's the simple meat and potatoes stuff of work, the basics. It's the small little things that count. And, you know, I want to be hooked to the hip with the finance people. I want to be hooked to the hip with strategists and IT. And we don't need to be an expert in each of these fields, Mm -hmm. but we need to understand each other. And I'm really excited now that we're growing in the U.S. Um, and that I'm super, super excited because it, we're going to be focusing on an area which is kind of a new term for a lot of people called self-management. Mm-hmm. 
but it's a term that is totally not new to companies like Morningstar, W.L. Gore, Sun Hydraulics here in Sarasota, like very reputable companies that have been operating with the philosophy that everyone in the organization has something to contribute. Mm. So I've had two colleagues, uh, Doug Kirkpatrick from Morningstar and Kevin O'Brien from W.L. Gore. Kevin's a process engineer um, and Doug was a, a lawyer by trade who didn't practice much law. He just got really invested in Morningstar some 25 years ago. And this gives me so much hope because the career and the sparks of engagement that I saw that delivered amazing results because I was not the company journalist. I kind of came up the ranks over time and had wonderful opportunities. But um, what I saw as sparks of amazing projects, now I know that there are organizations that it's not just a spark. It's part of, it's embedded in the culture. Mm -hmm. I know that it's going to require that we unlearn certain things mm -hmm. and that we learn new practices that will not be that hard to learn, really. But with boots on the ground, building block by building block, we can navigate towards mm. more self-management. But let's just talk a little bit about, um, you know, the, what you're doing in your work with New Focus Strategic Group. And um, we have some fabulous colleagues that we really value. And so I think all of us, and this is the term that I'm using, I think that we're all intentional about creating flourishing places of work. Yes. It's not just being sustainable. It's not just thriving. It's just, you know, where we can yes. actually truly flourish in a whole manner. And so, you know, I'm thinking of, um, you know, lovely uh, Johan Gautier and Sue Elliott of Workplace Energetics. Yes. Right. Yes. And then there, of course, is Achim Novak from Influence. Yes. yes. And Ted Coyne of Medalit and Susan Mazur of Random Acts of Leadership <laughs> and so on and so on, you know. And you're taking them all, you know, I think you and I met. <laughs> we would never have met if I had not met Achim. And that little trail is really wonderful. And as we know, Akim is the author of Infectious, but he's also a business consultant, you know, bringing um, the power of the full range of what we can bring to work through communications, but also being energized about work. And then through Akim, I got to meet Ted Cogne. Uh, who wrote a book on social, and he really exemplifies with Mark Babbitt as the co-author, but uh, Ted and I got to meet uh, at uh, Akin's insistence, because Ted also lives in Florida. And Ted kind of coined with through a conversation with me the term open, ordinary people, extraordinary networks. And he too is so passionate about work. And that led me down the trail to Tom Asaker and I, Asaker, and I learned so much Tom wrote a very important book about the business of belief and the real premise of it. It's not going to be through the facts and the data that we're going to create the future. It comes from our feeling mind and what we desire and believe as humanity. And, you know, where, what I learned from Tom is that what I'm passionate about, it doesn't necessarily mean that the clients and others will be quite as passionate as I am. Oh, what a and shame. And we have to find <laughs> each other in that way 
to discover what is it yes. that we truly desire and believe. Yes. And this is so important of, in the workplace mm-hmm. for tomorrow mm-hmm. is to tap into each other. So there are other folks that I oh, <laughs> wouldn't yeah. mind that I'd be talking about. But I think the point to be made about this, just as you are inviting some really terrific guests that want a flourishing future for organizations with results and with new creativity and innovation. I think we're exemplifying and modeling that this is the way our communities at work should be also. Mm -hmm. We should have those same dynamic, energized relationships and let people come from where they're the best at. Mm -hmm. You know, working with New Focus Strategic Group, it's one invitation at a time. And it's, I'll admit that it's easier for many clients at the beginning to feel like, okay, I want to do this or I want to, I'm going to do it the old way or let me have a training program on communication Mm -hmm. or on this or on that. And when we're lucky and we can engage in a good conversation, we realize that we can open the curtain wider and bigger Mm -hmm. so people can see out about the business that's lovely. That's a lovely description. Yeah. I, um, I want you to explain to us the notion of open. Um, I know it's on page 111 in Ted's book called A World Con Social. I actually wrote a blog post about it yesterday for Open for Business. It's a relatively new community where there are people who are sharing ideas I hold you up as the the person who opened this this space or came up with this concept. So I want to hear it from you directly, Suzanne. Oh. Talk to me about open. Well, um, ordinary people, extraordinary networks. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give an example mm-hmm. of that. In 2010, with Harrison Owen, who created open space technology, though open and open space technology are not the same thing, but he was... Uh, opening space, facilitating with a Scrum Alliance in Orlando, Florida. And Scrum Alliance is part of the agile group of technology people that are using processes and methodologies, Robin, that I think are so, so, could be so instrumental to what we're facing in the future. And as I was facilitating with him, co-facilitating I noticed the high energy of the technology people. There are about 350 people there. Mm -hmm. And I noticed the topics of leadership that they were discussing. I noticed how they were collaborating around work. I had never heard of Scrum. I didn't know what that was. And so I went digging. And it led me to an agile conference with, I don't know, I think maybe a thousand people, if not more. And... I said, there's something here that in the old days, the way you did technology, which they called waterfall, which meant you documented everything, you planned everything, you delegated everything in little pieces. And at the end, life had been going on. And at the end, the product often was not on spec. It cost more. It didn't satisfy the clients. And they came forward with some methods that are so much better suited to what we need in the Mm. world of work today. Shorter Mm. iterations, let's live and notice what's happening in life in the moment. Mm. Let's adjust in the moment. Let's deliver in pieces, smaller, shorter iterations. 
I mean, I could go on and talk a lot about the opportunities that the Agile community, of which there are thousands and thousands of people that are lurking in organizations who have taken a complex picture and made it so much more simple to address and to focus on work. So, I mean, this is an example of all the ordinary people that are doing extraordinary things right under our nose that we don't know about that really speaks to leaders lurk everywhere. Mm -hmm. We have to look. And it's a step at a time with all of us. I mean, um, Josh Allen Dyster, I don't know if you know him, but he wrote a book called Igniting the Invisible Tribes. Mm -hmm. It is those invisible tribes Mm -hmm. that we need to ignite. Yeah. And so when you take that experience that you're describing, you know, from that agile community or the people who are kind of the ordinary people who are coming up with more relevant, um, more appropriate, more um, effective ways of doing work. So that's from ordinary people because they know their work. But then when you extrapolate that and put it into our social world, because you talked about the extraordinary networks. So I'm thinking about, you know, how we, we don't even have to be working in the same organisation anymore. But, you know, we have this, you know, just like you just, we, we spoke about, you know, very um, excitedly and with great affection about the networks that we have found together. Um, but that's, that's all happened through the social world, right? Yeah. So the tools that we have through, um, you know, Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook, you know, where I would never have got to know any of you had it not been uh-huh. for these kinds of extraordinary networks that we have the capability to tap into and contribute to and make them even better because of our collective ordinariness and our capacities to do so (laughs) without without any designated leadership and that's the point isn't it (laughs) and I think you're you're pointing out something that um and I'm going to call it the outside inside Uh uh-huh so we have inside organizations when I was working I was totally very passionate, you know, through the tough times, the good times. And, you know, I was totally involved in the world that I lived in. And I was not aware as much of what's out there, the outside networks now, Robin, that we're a part of, that are so important that there's, you know, a a breadth and a scope of wisdom that's there. And I think this is going to be the magnificence of the future Mm. because I think the outside, inside people are going to find each other. And as an insider, like, I mean, I didn't know what I didn't know in those days. And since I've been a consultant on the outside, I feel like I've become a teenager again in a way that I can shape my world. I can rush and learn and have and have total faith that there's so much more that we can do. And I keep thinking that it's so important that I be the the window and invite some of the folks that were in the inside that I used to be and to connect those inside folks to some of the outside resources. So the power of connection. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I left that manufacturing company and forest products that I love so much, I went and worked for a wireless towers company. And they had about 45% turnover in that organization. 
and great potential. There were there were some leadership changes and some changes that happened. And what stayed with me that will forever amaze me is it's often said that you can't take can't, can't change the culture. It might take five to ten years or three to five years. We were able to change a culture together by inviting and including people to the business issues to the business opportunities. It was about business. It wasn't about let's all be engaged and have fun or have, it wasn't the extrinsic things. It was the intrinsic value of work and their contribution. And within two to three months and sustainably until we got bought out by the largest competitor, one of the largest competitors, the turnover was less than 10% Mm -hmm. sustainably. And the results went through the roof enough so that we got bought out. But I learned in that experience what happens when we unleash human potential. And it's carried me forward in the work I'm doing with others now. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so important, Suzanne, to have those lived experiences because it's only when you've experienced it can you go out there and be it and do it. So it's not something you can talk to an individual or to an organisation about you, I, my sense is that we on the outside, if you want, have the great opportunity to be able to provide the, the experience yeah. so that people can get it for themselves. And what you're touching on that goes really deep, Robin, it's to do it from such a place of humility. Like if I'm working with a client, they know their business best. Yes. They know their culture Yes. And the last thing I ever want to do is come in there as a misknow-it-all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really think that the future is yeah. when we discover what we each desire and want to do. And if there's a fit, there's a fit. And then we just like become more like equals and we go to it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we trust that. So there's a, a degree of humility, a real degree of humility in in this work that we do together and it's bigger than us. I'm so, I just, I'm moved right now when I'm thinking of some of the students that we had the opportunity to host the world open space. And for the first time in the world, our co-partners and our co-hosts were university students Mm -hmm. who I so admired and they don't work in the same way that we used to work. They're not like biding their time so that they can climb the rungs of the career ladder one step at a time. It doesn't work that way. And they had so many solutions um, and such depth and scope, more than I did in my 20s, that they were able to do things differently, faster and better. And when they were energized and engaged, I mean, it was amazing. I was in awe of so many of them. Yeah. So, you know, those people in our companies, we need to bring them on side to the grown-up table of issues. (laughs) Not the kiddie table, to the grown-up table. Yeah, but two things. One is thank you for bringing up humility. I I felt very moved when you said that because I, I totally agree with you. And the second thing is when you talk about the energy and the enthusiasm and the sense of possibility and aspiration that younger people who are, you know, just entering the workforce, the aspirations they bring, it's how do we keep that alive and it doesn't get knocked out of you? 
So, you know, and I think that's why we need to reinvent organisational structures and ways we work so that we keep that. And we, you know, when you move to the adult table, you want to bring all that other stuff with you. You don't want to become an adult, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Well, you, want, you know, unless we're going to be fun-loving adults until the day we die. I mean, really, and keep the spirit of yes. youth inside us. Yes. Um, with the youth, though, I mean, we talk about humility. Um, I can remember being in a meeting in Paris, actually, and um, there were these young people that talked about the future leadership. And you know what they were most concerned about? They said, if we do not have access to the wisdom of the people that came before us, Mm -hmm. it will be lost for our generation and for the future generations. And it kind of like stopped me in my tracks. I thought, what do you mean? Well, they said, if we don't learn it now, and there was humility on their part. It's like they really, really miss having those conversations that I used to have when I was young, where people that came way before me would share the strategic issues. They'd talk about what was important Mm -hmm. for them and the organization. And now there's hardly any time for people Mm -hmm. to be doing that anymore. And it also leaves no time for those young people who have much more exposure than we had because of the communication world that we live in Mm. to put in their views. And they're not out there to hog the leadership and say, I want to be president tomorrow. Not at all. They just want to be included and invited. And um, somehow... Yeah, that's a very. I think people will only understand that, Robin, when they've started to experience it. Yes, yes. So we will need to continue plugging away mm-hmm. to have people take the leap. Yeah. Take the leap to include and involve. Yeah, very nice. Yeah. And it is about both and. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So thank you for reminding us that, you know, there's the wisdom that we need to. Um, to not let go, but the wisdom that has worked in the past and how we can keep building on yeah. that with the new ideas. Do you know of Frederick Laloux's book, Reinventing oh. Organisation? Okay, <laughs> this is going to be one of these moments where I'm going to say, I was thinking to myself, I must not, we must not end this interview without me having brought up Frederick Laloux. <laughs> And his book, Reinventing Organizations. He's from Belgium and he's French, so I hope one day I get to talk to him in French. And Morningstar is one of the companies that's spoken about. So is Sun Hydraulics Mm -hmm. and the depth. I thought uh, Which he talks about those 12 (laughs) companies. So to anyone that's listening is to know, like, this has been proven, folks. I mean, mm. as Brene Brown will say, you know, daring greatly in the power of vulnerability, hey, folks, you don't wake up. Yes. This has been done before. Yes. And there's a roadmap for it. There are building blocks for yes. this. Yeah. And it's just, if we were able to do lean manufacturing, Six Sigma, uh, you know, do all the efficiency uh, improvements in our organizations, eliminate waste, all those traditional total quality management things, which I'm sure you know about. Mm-hmm. We need to apply our talents, our passion, our focus, and our energy to the people side of our business mm-hmm. because we're losing out and our country's losing out and our companies are losing out. And that's why 
work and life have to go hand in hand. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I imagine that you would know this book, Reinventing Organizations, the guide to creating organizations inspired by the next stage of human consciousness. And my the guest before you, Suzanne, is a woman by the name, a young woman by the name of um, Carolyn Koprach. And she works in the happiness team at Buffer. Do you know of Buffer? I do not. Um, well, Buffer is a is a is a tool to help people with their social media. It enables you to um, schedule social media to all your different social sites. They um, have reorganised their organisation according to this model. So it's very exciting. I'm sure you'll love to hear that conversation. Um, how they're, they're doing, they're following um, Frederick Laloux's model. And, you know, they're calling themselves a teal organisation. So I think it's fantastic. It's growing. So all to your point, you know, this whole sense of how we bring people together to enjoy their, go back into their work life and enjoy their work and their life and feel energised by it. I think this is, this is what the future is, just as you say. This will not be a job of just a few people. It's going to take all of us. Mm-hmm. And um, I just feel so blessed that I got to know you and got to know some other folks and to know that on this sometimes solitary journey, like to think that ordinary people can go and help reinvent the world of work, it almost seems beyond our grasp. And it's not to... Um, should I say, be intellectual about this. Mm -hmm. It's like real boots on the ground. It's going to take an army of folks, all of us together, including leaders and our younger generations and all of us. So that's all. You know, I feel very invigorated that we live in these times before we weren't conscious, I think. You know, we were under the illusion that our plans and the predictability and the control mechanisms that we had in our organizations were going to deliver forever the results that we were getting. I think it's becoming evidently clear that predictability and control um, will not deliver that. Mm-hmm. Yes, we do want a certain degree of control and we do want to, you know, we're not inviting total chaos here. We're inviting thoughtfulness and, um, So I think that's how I'd like to close, to just say, let's invite, include and involve. Let's trust the human beings that we are and let's not make work a negative four-letter word. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, work and life are both four letters. Mm -hmm. And um, imagine how much richer our lives are when the work that we do is doing something bigger than any of us. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you, Suzanne. The same here, Robin. Thank you. And uh, a shout out, hello to all our friends who might be listening who know us. And I will very much look forward to listening to the Buffer podcast too, because <laughs> happiness seems like a good note to end on. That's beautiful. Okay. So thanks. Bye, Suzanne. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. The show notes for this episode can be found at positivitystrategist.com slash PS34. And there you'll also find this week's Positivity Lens activity. (music) 
I encourage you to download the worksheet as Suzanne offered three great strategies that will help you connect with your work in a spirited way. And here are the three strategies Suzanne recommends. Invite, involve and include. So she says in this complex, fast-paced world, speak up and ask to be involved. Contribute even if you haven't been asked and invite yourself to see the perspectives of others. She then suggested that we identify the invisible tribes in our workplace. So who are the ordinary people in your organisation who are doing extraordinary things? Who are the leaders lurking in your midst doing fine work that you admire? And let's grow the ordinary, extraordinary in each of us. And her third strategy was take time to reintegrate life into work. So if work is less than satisfying and meaningful, get into the driver's seat of your work life. Look for the things that you love to do and things that you're good at and stand up for what you love and look for opportunities to multiply them. If you see yourself wishing for the weekend or retirement, reframe and ask yourself, what would I need to do to enjoy work more? So try those out and notice how that can make a difference into your work and into your life. And so I'm ending today with a request for you to head over to iTunes and search for Positivity Strategies podcast in the podcast section of the store and give us a rating and write a review. It really helps to spread awareness of this show, thereby drawing attention to the great work my guests are doing in the world. We are all making a positive difference, so let's share it around. And a big thanks in advance for making the effort. It means a lot. So you can be notified of new episodes by email. Links to all these suggestions are available on positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and remember what you focus on grows. So grow towards your best.